We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Well, we finally did it. We sold a player. Emmy Martinez is gone, and we can use that windfall to buy a bunch of new goalkeepers. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. We have to say a, a sad farewell to Emmy Martinez, um, who did get a really nice uh, curtain call at Arsenal. Project restart, a perfect chance for him to display his quality and raise his price to really astronomical levels. A guy that might have been a couple million pounds, if you're lucky, goes for 20 million pounds. And what do Arsenal do with that money? Invest in midfield. Buy buy the future. No, screw that. Two goalkeepers, please. Can I get two goalkeepers? I'm kidding. Sort of. We'll get into that. Paul's here. He's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Woo-hoo. Get your goalkeeping gloves, man. Maybe Arsenal will buy you. Tim's on Twitter. Stoberto, hello, Tim. Hello there. And Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. If you're missing Scott and his beautiful American accent calling the sport soccer, you can always sign up for Patreon and hear him do the first analytics pod that we'll be doing weekly with Scott over on the Patreon side. Love to have you there. We also did a rewatch of the Fulham game. You can do that in all of the hours and hours of time you'll have before the West Ham game because I think we play it like, what what time is kickoff local time in London? Like midnight, 1130, something like that. What are, we, what are we, La Liga? It's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, so that, that ought to be fun. Um, Tim, I'll start with you. Well, we'll get into the Obama Yang thing. That's obviously the big news. We we did a live stream about it. It's uh, free and available for everyone on YouTube if you want to actually see me and Tim and a lot of graphics scrolling across the screen as I pay attention to the graphics and not the talking. But uh, we did talk about Obama Yang at length. <clears throat> but let's talk about this goalkeeping thing. Sad to see Emmy go. But I think intellectually we had all kind of gotten to the point where we recognize having a really good backup goalkeeper is not as important as having 20 million pounds to invest into areas of the squad that can hold us back. And I think we all know the area of that squad. Uh, it's in somewhere in the middle 
of the field that we play on. So there's a field of grass, and in the middle of it, yeah. there's a problem. Um, so, so Tim, transfer rumors are da- it's dangerous to base conversations around transfer rumors because you can be made to look stupid very easily, and that, to be fair, can happen to me on a lot of uh, fronts. But we want this runner, runnerson, runner, ragnarson, ragnar, runnerson guy. Apologies already. Um, he's cheap. So good. They named him two and a half times. Exactly. Thank you, Paul. Uh, he, he's cheap. He's He'd be returning to a coach that, that has coached him before. And my attitude with the backup goalkeeper is the cheaper, the better. Fine. But we also seem to be interested in Rhea, who is not cheap. And, you know, if that winds up being 10, 12, you know, whatever whatever it is, 10, 12 million, and then a couple million on, on runner, well, s- suddenly you're spending a good chunk of the of the ME fee just replacing goalkeepers. And Leno Leno was our player of the season before Emmy Martin his last season. He's already come in and, you know, looked pretty good in the first game. He's at an age where he could be our keeper for, you know, six seasons if he wanted to be. So how do you react to this news? First of all, do you do you put any stock in it? And what's your reaction to the idea that we could be using a good chunk of the Emmy fee to potentially not just buy a cheap backup, but two uh two replacement goalkeepers? Yeah, I, I wonder about this. I, I just wonder if there's a bit more to it in terms of because one of the things that Brentford have stipulated as well is that they'd want him back on loan, which would make it um, really pointless for us, basically. But I, I wonder if Arsenal are kind of maybe ready to do that and they're getting Runas in just for a year, effectively, until mm. they can get Raya and whether this is some kind of um, accounting trick. But then again, like the reports are that we're signing Runnison on a five-year deal. Um, but then again, like it sounds like Matt Macy's going to go. He's he said quite clearly that he wants to leave um, this summer, which perfectly understandable. So we probably do need a third. It's, it's one of those weird things where we do need a third goalkeeper as well. So I just wonder if maybe we'll kind of um, quiesce to Brentford's. You can have him next year or like loan him back. And, and I, I'm not clever enough to know how um, a transfer like that would look on the books, um, but whether it's something to do with that, maybe whether this is just a kind of passing on the tab, I don't know. But I, I mean, if it's not, then yeah, that strikes me as um, I, I wouldn't say pointless just because Martinez wanted to go and there was a good offer and we did it and that's fine. That's, that's what Arsenal should be doing. And, you know, you can't, keep the guy against his will I don't think not with you know not with two years left on his contract it it was premium time to sell I think it was just a a mutually agreeable thing to do but yeah ideally we don't want and look in an ideal world you want two brilliant goalkeepers okay but we don't operate in an ideal world and the year with last time we won the league Graham Stack was our was our backup goalkeeper Hmm. Um, and nobody cared about that. Like Liverpool won it with Adrian, Man City have won it with Claudio Bravo. You know, who your backup goalkeeper is doesn't really determine very much. It might determine how you do in a cup um, because that's largely when they'll play. But um, ultimately, I was hoping, I, I was much more enthused when I heard that we were you know, replacing Martinez for 2 million. And I was thinking, oh, that's, that's another 18 million into the midfielder sink fund. And that's, that's what I'd prefer to see. Yeah, um, Clive, I mean, for me, it's obviously not, not a move that would make a lot of sense to me. Uh, if you'd like to make the case for the defense, please, please do. And by defense, I mean for what, why the move might be sensible. I, I'm not going to shit on it because, frankly, like, I don't know that it matters enough to really get stuck in. And, and Paul, obviously, we'll, we'll, we'll get some thoughts from you on this as well. But it does, it certainly seems curious. I am definitely in Tim's camp that 
I am fine if a traffic cone wearing an Arsenal shirt is the backup keeper. And you can say, well, then we wouldn't have won the FA Cup last season. Listen, there is tons of evidence that your backup keeper is absolutely, totally, thoroughly worthless. And the clear proof is the two best teams in England over the last four seasons have had a totally worthless backup keeper. In fact, Liverpool started the season with him last. Adrian is worthless, and he started for Liverpool. And in fact, I can give you another example. The worst keeper in the Premier League is Kepa Arutha Balaga. And Chelsea made top four. So whether your ambitions are the title which Liverpool won with a bad backup keeper, or whether your ambitions are top four. Chelsea got there not with a bad backup. They got there with a bad keeper full stop. So please talk me into the argument that not only is keeper an important position, but backup keeper and third backup keeper is also an important position. So what I'll do is ignore the question and just give you a scenario of what I think could be happening here. Okay, that would be better, yes. (laughs) David Rea is, is, in my opinion, a very good goalkeeper. I think he's... One of those transformational Ter Stegen type goalkeepers that's going to transform the position by being more of an outfield player. Goalkeeping is going backwards a little bit, going backwards to smaller goalkeepers around six foot, six foot one, and having footballers. Right? So that's where it's heading as a position. Right? So, so I give you this scenario: David Rare comes in. Maybe he comes in this year or next year. We shall see. Try, I've, I've not decoupled the goalkeeper's money because we've all got ideas about midfield. We all know about our balance sheet, so we're immediately making sums up in our head and saying goalkeeper's money must go to a midfielder. Actually, I think Arsenal may be looking at it and saying that's goalkeeper money that we never expected. How can we build this position on its own? So looking at it as a singular position. They lose someone for 18, 20 million, and that money they can use to develop their goalkeepers and maybe get two goalkeepers for the price of one, and in a year or so's time, maybe two years, or they sell Leno, and then they backfill, and that's where they make their money on that position. Because they'll have two goalkeepers that are known to the goalkeeper's coach that they'll develop while Leno's in number one position, and then Leno will go at some point, and then Rayo will be the number one goalkeeper for Arsenal with a new with a, the new signing as number two. And then a youth player will come in as number three. The other guy called it Carl Hine. It's quite we've got a good reputation in with the kids. That could be your three goalkeepers, cost efficient over a period of time. Right? So because we're so keen for the our party, or some of us are, to have that double whammy into our midfield, we're we're all looking behind the sofa for money to pay for them. And actually I think the club are looking at from on a positional basis over a number of years of where they want to be in that position and what type of keeper they want. In that position and that's giving you a scenario what I think could be happening and um, the Raya signing is interesting Brentford is a club that Arsenal obviously taking coaches from they obviously admire I don't think they want to mess up the relationship because Brentford are very astute in their signings and I'm sure we'll be back there at some point so it's going to be interesting to see if Arsenal do take the risk of having this second goal uh, this third goalkeeper the second goalkeeper or do they loan an aged keeper for this season while they wait for Raya, if they have to, if that scenario presents itself. So So, that's how I see it going. So I want to be clear. What you've just outlined is perfectly fine and makes sense. I still don't know that I love... I I mean, so so, well, let me me give an analogy for a second because analogies are always a crap way to uh, infantilize a conversation. So, Paul, I live in a house and I've got two refrigerators. Clearly, don't really need two refrigerators, but I have two beautiful refrigerators. 
Okay. Of course you do. You're American. Yeah. I also have two cars, and they're, you do. they're pretty crappy. One of them just broke down and needs to be replaced, and the other one's just about getting it, getting the job done. Car is pretty important. In fact, car is probably more important than a refrigerator. So I decided I'm going to sell one of my really nice refrigerators to put some money towards a new car, because I need a new car. So I, I sell a refrigerator. It's a really nice refrigerator. I get, I get $5,000 for it. And then I buy two new refrigerators, each for $2,500. I, I now do not have money for a car, but now I have three refrigerators. Like, that's kind of a, a better analogy. Be, I, I buy two refrigerators for, for 2000 each, so I have 1000 left over. I've used most of my money for the car on refrigerators. Now I have three refrigerators and no car. So, like, it's a crap analogy, but I guess my point is, let's say Rhea is... A can't you're, miss. You're going to need an analogy for your analogy. I, I think so. You know what? You, you've been there with me, but you, you've you've done some that don't make sense yourself. You're usually sexually oriented. <laughs> um, look, let's say Raya is a no doubt superstar goalkeeper of the future. Like no doubt, mm-hmm. he's a can't miss. He's going to be the big thing. Burn Leno's what? Twenty eight. Like mm-hmm. he could be Arsenal's keeper for six years. Goalkeepers age differently. I think we'd agree with that. Thirty four is not a, an old goalkeeper. He was excellent. We bought him because we rated him, and he was every bit as good, if not better, than we thought. So even if all we were buying was Rhea, I guess you could say, look, he's too good to pass up. If we don't get him now, he will be a 60 million pound keeper, and this is cheap to get this guy. I mean, then I guess, like, why do you need Runner? Like, what's that about? And granted, that's such a small amount of money, it almost doesn't matter. But, like, I just, I guess strategically. Right. And, and, and we shouldn't take yeah. this conversation much further because it probably doesn't even warrant no. this much. But, like, no. we are always looking for signs, Paul, that the club is using their resources efficiently and effectively. And, like, I, I get Clive's point. Let's address goalkeeper. But, like, goalkeeper is the least important position on the entire pitch. We have one that's really good. The backup doesn't matter. So I can't understand buying two backups because because here would be my argument paul if you really want an excellent backup you know who is an excellent backup emmy martinez so like help me help me understand it i mean clive already did help me understand i i, I want to be clear clive's argument is the argument but but is there another one well uh runner runnerson is really kind of like an ice cooler um just in case your your refrigerator breaks down and maybe you're going camping that summer and you won't be able to bring the refrigerator with you the whole time. So like it's just like it's just awkward and they're heavy and the power requirements. But I think what you're missing here is this ice cooler was trained previously by Inyaki uh, Pavan, um, who is our goalkeeper coach. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I am aware of that. Yeah. Who's who knows all about this guy and we're getting him for two million. And basically what must have happened was he goes to Mikel and he says, you're looking for players with the real upside. This guy we can get for buttons, pay him buttons, and I can do for him what I might be getting a little carried away here, but I can do for him what we did for Emmy Martinez, which is take him from being pretty good to being ready for when the time comes. And like, what's the worst case scenario with this guy? Um, he plays in our cups this year. I, I like the move, Paul. Yeah. I, I I think yeah. you may be misunderstanding. I like the runner move because I think yeah. use the Emmy money to get the yeah. cheapest backup humanly possible. Mm-hmm. It's the yeah. other move. It's the Raya move that you have to explain to me. Well, the question is, is the Raya move definitely happening? I don't know. I, I mean, that's why I started it's this conversation by saying move. if you take rumors, if you take yeah. transfer rumors yeah, yeah. as the basis of a conversation, you're you're risking looking really stupid. I get that. 
Sure, and, which I'm clearly you know, comfortable maybe, doing. <laughs> yeah, maybe we may not get him back. May not get him this year. Maybe it's he's kind of a bit of a project for us, and it takes two windows. Maybe we've to loan him back, and maybe we're okay to loan him back because we'll put some effort into this guy and turn him into a real something, and then we'll we'll have a choice and we'll have time. But we could take a guy who's two million and turn him into a ten million keeper, um, or better. Maybe we see some real talent in this guy, and he's got a real ceiling. Um, but, you know, do we need three keepers? I don't know. But at two million, um, he at least we've moved on this guy. We have him in place and he maybe gives us more time and more leverage in going after the Brentford guy who, again, is in Yaki Pavon and uh, has worked, has coached him, trained with him, knows all about him. So we've got options. I don't know if we need three. Um but right now we got two, and uh, I don't, you know, uh, would we need three? What what would this guy do for the next season? Now, if we, if we think Raya will take us another season before he's our true number two, there was a talk of a loan lots- back potentially buy him a yeah. loan back. Yeah, yeah. So I can see this makes lots of sense, and if he's on a five year contract, as Tim says, doesn't matter too much in that if he comes in cheap, um, you know, we can send him out on loan next year. So we've got options. So it, 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 we turn him into something good this year. We send him out on loan next year. Um, he's dying for a move. He hasn't played for a couple of seasons for Dijon. Um, doesn't want to be their second choice keeper, but he's quite happy to be ours. He plays in prestigious competitions. He gets to work with his old buddy Pavon, who turned him into something. And then he, you know, this will reinvigorate mm. him. So it makes all sorts of sense all around. I like that. And move. if we don't. Yeah, if we don't get Raya this season, but we get him next season, uh, he'd probably be delighted to go out uh, to be uh, kind of reinvigorated, sent out as a Premier League uh, keeper to a lower level team, loan probably more likely championship, but really start his career with a high profile club. And, you know, maybe he's a path to being our number two and maybe, maybe. he does great this year and we go mm. and he becomes our keeper next year, depending on what this uh, our backup keeper my, proper my instinct season. is that runner will be terrible and i don't care and i'm fine with it and i love the move if if inaki mm-hmm. wants him and he's cheap like i again i i don't know if i've been clear i think backup keeper is less important than backup kit manager like i don't think it matters at all it, it, and here's the, the, where i wasn't totally happy with your scenario on liverpool and city i mean it's a little different in that they dominate play and we don't so while they can't have a terrible keeper uh, scenario, it will hurt them. I mean, they did both go out and buy very expensive keepers. <clears throat> well, but, but I mean, they have bad your... backups, is my point. Yeah, yeah. Like, the backup doesn't yeah, matter. Not, and then the irony is Chelsea and United, terrible. who make up the rest of the top four, don't even have good first keepers, and that didn't stop them from getting in the top four. So I'm not yeah. saying keeper doesn't matter. I'm saying you can achieve your goals with a mediocre to bad keeper, and you can definitely achieve any goal with a bad backup keeper. Like, literally win the Champions League and the Premier League with a terrible backup keeper. So, like, you you, they did. They literally did. Clive, well, look, we, I, I I'm not what, taking crazy pills. Did piece, Liverpool win the Champions League two seasons ago and win the league this look, season? Because I, I, I might take crazy pills. Listen, listen, you, listen. That they lost you, the Champions just, League final t- t- what, Tim, before what, with a bad keeper Yeah, who threw some in. And we lost the Champions League final with a bad first choice keeper. And they got knocked out by Atleti this year because of a terrible error by Adrian as well. Thank you, Tim. Well, okay, so so that's evidence that undermines my point, which is why I'm not hugely uh, (laughs) in support of it, 
If we're being honest, Elliot, you know you're in trouble when Clive and Tim are cross-interrupting everybody to tell you how wrong you are. This is how wrong you are. But in particular, when they use facts, that's the part I don't like about it. We always dismiss our goalkeeper until they throw one in. I stood there in Paris and watched our goalkeeper. Okay, but Clive, can I just clarify one thing about my point? One thing. I think we have an excellent goalkeeper. So I want to be clear. I do think, look, we lost titles because of Almunia. I'm not saying goalkeeper isn't important. I'm saying you can survive without a great one, but I'd, I'd rather have a great one. I think yeah, so we have a great one. My issue is using resources on the backup. And, and, and maybe, maybe Rhea is so good and has such a clear straight line path to superstardom as a goalkeeper that this money is going to seem like the bargain of the century, in which case, fair enough. You know, I mean, because the other thing, can I, can I say one thing and then we'll, we'll move off this. Either how we spend money matters or it doesn't. If you're yelling at your podcast device right now saying, Elliot, it's 15 million, who cares? Look, if we have all the money we need because Stan's just going to stump up, then literally buy whoever you want. I, I genuinely don't care. Either it matters how we spend our money or it doesn't. If it doesn't matter how we spend our money, this conversation is pointless. But if it does matter how we spent our money and we had to sell Emmy Martinez, because the argument for selling Martinez is you can't turn down 20 million pounds. You got to cash in. So if the argument for selling a great backup keeper was to cash in and get that money to turn around and turn it into two keepers, seems like it undermines the very argument. I'd rather have Emmy Martinez than two other keepers. Does that make sense? I mean, am I wrong about that? You're not wrong, but Emmy Martinez is given 10 years of his life to Arsenal Football Club, and he wants to be a number one goalkeeper. All right, yeah. Arsenal Football Club has said, you know what, mate? You've done the bit for us. Here's your million quid bonus money, and we're going to not ask for an an extraordinary amount for you, just just under your value, and go and make your life. And we'll use that money to repair and re-strategize the goalkeeper position. We had an off-mic chat about Liverpool and their signings um, just before we started. And I think it does come back to trust and just trusting them. Liverpool can buy a 29-year-old centimetre with a historic injury record and the world is going crazy because it must be it must be well thought through. And I hope it works out for them. But it might not. Right? It might not work out. Leno could get an injury and we think, crikey, we sold the wrong goalkeeper. Right? So it's, it's, a very, it's a very strange thing. But I'd like to think that Arsenal are looking at this goalkeeper position and looking at where it's going to be going forward and trying to show a bit of foresight and trying to think about how they want to play going forward. And the David Rea signing is not just a keeper, he is a footballer with a number one shirt on the back. And that's a complete change to how we want to play. And I find it really interesting that we've targeted him. When we see what he looks like, he throws the odd one in. When we see what he looks like, I think I could be interested to see how we you know, play out from the back, which we're, we're doing really well at the moment. This guy takes it to another level. So... It's one to watch here that maybe we could be at the forefront of what we're trying to do here, given the development of the goalkeeper position. And I think that position is underdeveloped and waiting to be developed. And I think it's really interesting what we're trying to do. Mm, Tim, you have a, a final thought on this to undermine all of my arguments or not particularly? No, not really. No, to be honest, I, I guess what I'd say is, yeah, Chelsea got top four with, Kepa, um, just to address that point, but they'd probably like to go for the title. And we saw what happened when Liverpool went from Minulay to Allison. Okay, can I can I just make the point though? Because I, I I think I got backed into a position I didn't really want to make. I kind of offhand was <laughs> saying you can get by with a bad keeper. I don't think that's a good policy. 
I think you should have yeah. a good keeper. I think we have, and maybe this is where the argument is. I think Leno is excellent. I mean, I thought he was fantastic last season. Maybe Arteta feels Leno doesn't have what it takes with the ball at his feet. Maybe he's looked at the player and he says, yep, he's excellent and he can be our guy for now, but Rea's better with the ball at his feet. As you're talking about, Clive, you know, this is how the position is evolving. You look at Ederson and Allison, what makes them special is in their shot stopping. I mean, Ederson in particular, it's how he uses the ball, right? Actually, is Allison better? Eh, probably Ederson. But, I mean, setting that aside, maybe that's what the issue is. I... Obviously, I'm focused on midfield, and I thought that part of the idea behind selling Emmy Martinez was to raise money that would be put towards pulling off this, you know, double whammy of party and Awar or whatever, you know, or whatever the case may be. Maybe that's not it. Maybe we can do all of it. Buy all these goalkeepers, buy all those midfielders, and this is just pearl clutching for no reason, which would be extremely on brand. I guess I just see the argument that we had to sell Martinez, other than he's ready to be a first choice keeper and we're giving him that freedom because we're nice is that 20 million pounds is an amount we can't afford to turn our nose up at for our backup keeper. And that we've now, we are now potentially looking at turning that 20 million pounds into, you know, 14, 15 million pounds of two more goalkeepers. And so that obviously is weird to me, uh, especially given that I think backup keeper is one of those things that you certainly don't prioritize with your your resources. But but let's move on. And, and uh, So can I just say something quick please here? Please don't. Yeah. Um, go, go on, Paul. Yeah, yeah, go on. Go on, Paul. Um, like buying players and selling players is, is different. And like we get 20 million and we get that this year. The accounting guys tell me. And if we buy Raya for 10 million, he costs us two and a half million because you amortize it over four four years or maybe uh, five years if we give him a five-year contract. So that's only two million. So I tend to ignore that stuff because I basically think money in versus money out. But maybe accountants look at this thing and think Raya is the future. They've looked, you know, the goalkeeper is the most important position on the field to get play started to create opportunities one could argue, especially as how we play. And they look at this guy and they think he's the absolute tits at 10 million. And they say, let's do this. Let's lock him in. Maybe we, we get him this year. Maybe we get him next year. But we start the process now. Um, and he's just a strategic. If if Arteta wants to win the league within the next couple of seasons. So I have this um, uh, analogy. Um to a movie called Thelma and Louise where like, you know, the way they go off the cliff at the end of the movie and it's like very sad. And that's like the third season of Obama Yang and William mm. <laughs> we'll, we'll be there to watch them go off the cliff. But the second season you get shagged by Brad Pitt. Um, so that's all good. That's this. The second season is when we win the league league with Rhea. And the first season is like us just breaking free and getting away from the bad man who abused us in our relationship, Unai Emery. And that's what's going on here. Uh, maybe Rhea takes us to the title. Yeah, could be. Um, I think any of these conversations presuppose that Leno isn't good enough to get us where we want to go. And I think that's just yeah. sort of a surprising... Yeah, yeah. I think that's a surprising conclusion, and I'm not sure what it's based on, but it is entirely possible because he's he's young enough that if we thought he was good... You just say, that's our keeper for six years. That problem's sorted and on we go. So, um, Tim, let's talk about a matter that you care more about than the transfer of backup keepers. Let's talk about the transfer of midfielders. Um, I, I know you hate transfer talk, but it's what we're going to do. The Aubameyang thing we covered, we'll, we'll cover it some more. But um, 
Awar seems to have moved into the pole position ahead of even uh, party in terms of uh, priority for Arsenal. And I think the clearest sign yet that we are definitely interested and that it may happen is that Olas, Olas, the president of yeah. Lyon, has uh, emphatically d- declined that it will happen because Arsenal uh, have no ability or willingness to pay the fee, which I believe is verbatim what he said about Lacazette about 20 minutes before Lacazette was unveiled. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, how encouraged are you by the news? I mean, just taking the temperature of, of transfer rumors, running them through whatever the transfer version of a Crapatron mm. is, how encouraged are you by this? And, you know, do you think that from the standpoint of, like, age, talent, position, he is really center bullseye for the kind of target we should be prioritizing? Yeah, so I, I think there's a lot of smoke around this one. I, I think we can definitely take as read that Arsenal are very interested um, Leon's director of football is uh, Leonardo, who um, happens to be a very good friend of Edu. Um, so I, I think I think you know I'm I'm pretty sure those two have had a conversation already, um, and and this is where some of Edu's links can really work for us. Um, in terms of like I haven't seen enough of the player to say that um, yep I think he's brilliant and exactly what we need. But profile wise, yep he's he seems to be at the right age. Um, everything I've I've seen and read suggests that he is exactly the type of kind of um, presence that we want in midfield, uh, and and that enthuses me greatly. Even if it doesn't happen, at least you can say, well, okay, they they've identified someone, you know, at the right age, and and I I believe he's someone. So from I, I can't remember if it was maybe Julian Laurent said something like this that he was one of those players who really burst onto the scene when he was younger, and then perhaps just had a couple of years where he didn't quite kick on. Matt um, Spiro. And then, uh, yes, yes, I think you're right. I think it was Matt Spiro. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and but then like this year, he's kind of he's he's. There are signs that he's perhaps about to fulfill that talent. So effectively, what we can take from that is that there's lots of talent there that's perhaps untapped. And I mean, I've said this on a few podcasts recently. I'm just like beginning to kind of see that there's perhaps a bit of a plan with some of our recruitment, you know, buying these six foot plus defenders who are great at whacking cross field balls and then buying Willian, who is a winger who's also great at whacking crossfield balls and you know just just some of these guys who seem to fit um what we're trying to do and so i guess even having not sa- seen our play that much I-, I have like some confidence again that um that this is like the real profile of player that arteta wants and i have to say like I- i've not really seen much of him or thomas party but um the the profile of this player in terms of his age um i i think um, I, I enthuses me a bit more than party. I, d- I don't, you know, having having already put a lot of resource into a couple of 31 year old and a 32 year old this summer, I, I do think we should look to get a little bit younger. Um, and so I think our kind of ticks that box. But like I say, I haven't really seen much of either of them play, so I can't and say he, for sure who's better. He'd basically be for a De Bruyne Silva type of role, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah, you'd think so. You'd think so. Just that kind of player that can take it on the half turn and just like up the level, or not just up the level of the midfield, but just make it something a bit more than like two blocks in front of the defence that play quite nice passes sometimes. I'm being like deliberately reductive about Xhaka and Ceballos there, but I, I just don't think that partnership is, it's the best we've got. 
which isn't saying much. I just don't think that partnership can really take us anywhere as is. And and to be fair, that's not really a criticism of Xhaka and Ceballos because there's two of them. And when you talk about elite midfields, usually there's three of them. Mm. Um, and, and we need that third piece, I think, quite desperately. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's right. I Like, I think if you get a Thomas party, I, I know why people like him and I know why he makes us better. And I think he partners with someone like Ceballos and makes our two in the back three better. I don't know if it gives us an option to play a midfield three because um, I don't know who the more advanced of the three would be. I think if you get a war, you can play Shaka Ceballos. And believe me, I think there's limitations there. And I think the limitations are Shaka, as everybody knows. But you can play Shaka Ceballos and Awar. I don't know that you can play Shaka Ceballos and Party. I mean, not that you can't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know exactly that 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 is right. And I see Party as a massive upgrade on Shaka to play with Ceballos and give us a little more range and mobility and athleticism. Um, but adding a war gives us more flexibility to switch to the three. Now, you could argue the way we switch to the three is we get Party and we use Willing in the midfield or something like that. So there's a lot of... There's a lot of uncertainty about how that would happen, but I mean, for you, Clive, is is the Awar move one that gives us this this fabled missing piece to become a a, th- a four three three type team, or is that probably still a, a bit of a reach? I think he's the the start of the next team. You know, I think defensively we've added some strong pillars in there, and I and I will clap my hands with that with glee. That's what I, I personally like. Um, could be a bit old-fashioned, but just what I like. Uh, in midfield, I do like the the party type. I recognise that people worry about the age and the numbers and etc. And I and I see that um, you have to get value to make this work. You can't just throw money around like we've done historically. And I've been big against that. So. What about on goalkeepers? Just kidding! I'm kidding. It's just, yeah. Come on, let me have my phone. Um, and. And so, oh wow, so he's an interesting. I mean, he's an interesting player. He, he really is. And I wasn't sure about him. I'll be honest. I've seen him play, and I thought, yeah, he's all right, but he ain't that good. And then I sort of in the Champions League round, you sort of watch him against, you know, Juventus, and, and you see him play against City, and you think, Crikey, you're you're good. You're holding you're holding your own against Bayern Munich's midfield, and you're really causing them problems. And that's the highest level you can get. So. Once you see him do that at that level, you think he could be definitive for us. Yeah, absolutely be definitive. The way Robert Pires was when he arrived, and he has that ability to just accelerate and decelerate the game, and he carries. And we've we've spoken, all of us have spoken about our lack of ball carriers. And I do think it's really important that we have carriers in our midfield. Williams a good example. Someone knows when to carry, knows when to pass. And when he, when you see it done so simply, it just looks so easy. And it just creates problems, it freezes people, it makes people drop away. It gives you a level of control that you don't always have. With passers who you know can't carry, who you know can't turn, and so you can press certain foot, you can press certain passing lanes and you can really get at them. When you've got people who can get out of that situation, then you create different problems. For coaches, and that's what it's all about. You need to create problems for other people. People that can pass and carry and press resistant can be a goal threat. Can got that sprintiness to go and press when you've lose the ball, so that transition is dealt with really well. They are the modern midfielders, and I think we're developing one of those in Saka. I think he's definitely got that. He's only 18, 19, so we're developing that player, and that's a special player in my opinion. And a wise two, three years ahead of him, and so 
it makes sense. And I do think, you know, I've, you heard me speak about Shaka's just a different player. He's just someone we need at the moment. But I haven't gone overboard on Tobias, not because I don't like him, just I think Awari is better. He's a better player than that. He has more things he can do. So Tobias is nice and neat and gives us stability at the moment and a little bit of ball manipulation. But there's more out there. There's better out there. And we should be aiming for that and not be worried about how much it costs. We need to get it. Because I'm looking around the league and no one is no one is dragging their feet. They're building their squads. They're building their teams. They're going to the top table. The Liga is in trouble. No one's there. Messi's got the ump. Ronaldo's gone. Unless they get Mbappe, that league is dying. Thankfully, Woodward's Everyone... doing his best to scuttle the, the Sancho transfer. <laughs> <laughs> so Thank everybody's got everybody wants to bring the Premier League and there's lots of talent out there we know a lot of them you know we look online and we see them and they're coming to our league they want to be here so we can't afford to drag our feet we need to be in there we're getting the best players so we can compete where we want to be so may I'm in summary I like both the players if we can get them and get rid of some of our um, trash I'll, make, I'll be sleeping well that's for sure mm. I, I have to admit like I, I'm with you I, I'm not saying that Awar isn't better than Ceballos I, I'm not sure how we can say for sure though that Ceballos isn't potentially a star because I mean I think any metric you look at in Project Restart Ceballos was pretty close to star quality and mm-hmm. he just turned 24 like th- this guy's one year older than Awar he's He's, you know, one year older than Ainsley Maitland-Niles. He's just entering his prime. He just showed what he's got. He's been a huge talent in the youth level, the Spanish international route. Hang hang on, just one last thing. And then, you know, he does have Real Madrid pedigree, which means at some point somebody thought pretty highly of him. So, like, maybe it's a style thing, but I I, kind of have this feeling that I've said it, so I've kind of nailed my colors to this mask. I think Ceballos goes absolutely supernova this season and, and... which is bad for us because we, we can't get him back. But you want to respond to that before I go on to, to Paul? No, I, want to I just talk I don't. More. I, I don't want to um, let people walk away and think that I don't think Sabias is any good. And you could see a midfield three of Sabias Awar and and say a Thomas Partey, more athletic, oh deeper gosh. line player. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and then you look at that connection, you look at the balance, and you think, oh, that looks different. That looks great. I'm trying not to go overboard on Sabias because he's not ours. We don't, he doesn't belong to us, you know. No, so, that's um, sensible. <laughs> and so, but you can see him in full three with him in, and he does suit the way we want to play. So I'm not dismissing him. That's what I want to say. But mm. there's good. My dad always says to me, "There's good." When, you, when I was bringing home some dodgy girlfriends, mate, he say, "There's good, there's better, and there's best." Mm. And I'm not sure Sabaris is the best that's out there, but mm. he's a very, very good player. My um, my parents said something similar about the inflatables that I brought home. Um, and you know, to be fair, I think you could say that we have some midfielders that are about the caliber of an inflatable. Uh, and, and you know, look, the, the thing about having an inflatable partner is that, no, you know what, I'm not, not going to go down that road. That's for you, Paul. <laughs> you can do that. Uh, so, look, aside from my childhood of nobody loving me or, or desiring me as, as a partner, let's, let's talk a little more about this midfield because one of the things that's interesting, Paul, we're looking for evidence that we are a smart club and we do smart things. And I think that there are signs we are moving that direction. I think a lot of the things we've done this summer actually, you know, from the move with Raul to trimming the fat in the, the coaching ranks and, um, you know, even even some of the guys like like a Willian move, you know, maybe a little old, but you can see why we do that. And some of the things we're doing, I mean, there's there's good noises coming out of the club, for lack of a better way to put it. But 
Setting that aside, I mean, if we were able to shift Ganduzi to Lyon to make Awar more affordable, and now the links Torreira to Atleti are looking pretty serious. And you look at Torreira going to Atleti and you say, well, that that definitely smacks of them potentially losing party. And, you know, whether you want party or not, if we're able to send Torreira to Atleti and Guendouzi to Lyon and bring those other two players back in a way that fits our budget, it sure does look like pretty canny business. Do you, could you get behind the idea that that is, that is what we are attempting to do behind the scenes? And, and how, how high is the ceiling of Arsenal with a midfield of Awar, Ceballos and party versus what we're looking at currently? Uh, well, I think it's great mainly because of options. I'm still not sure I see the perfect three there. Uh, What's in terms missing? Of players. Um, well, I mean, well, what how quality? Not what player, but to, what quality? Who's the deepest player there is is my problem. I mean, part, Party hasn't been the DM. Um, he's he's pretty close to box to box. Um, Danny's a little small to be covering all that ground uh, defensively. Um, I mean, I, I think Danny's great. Um, well, but well, think about it this way. We we just did it with Shaka and Ceballos. <laughs> yeah, but um, it means you have to keep two players back in midfield. I, I guess, I mean, Ceballos has a lot of defensive actions. I think I think his defensive intensity is maybe not rated much. And I think between him and Party, if it's a double pivot where one goes and one stays, kind of like what we did with Ramsey and Shaka at times, I think you can make it work. If the structure is good, I don't like. Do do Liverpool have a destroyer? Like, is Fabinho a destroyer? Is, um, is uh, yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, sorry, not uh, sorry. I'm joking. Yeah, I think he is. I think he covers. I think defensively, he's in extremely strong. He's not. He's destroyer is the wrong word because he does everything else. He's a bit like Fernandinho. Well, uh, right. But, but me, so, can Party be that? I mean, someone who's got or or, or a Ceballos just in terms ha- of their athleticism. He hasn't been because he hasn't been the one guy who sits deep. But maybe Fair. that's how they see him, and that that's kind of my. I don't know how they'll be used when they get here. Um, like Danny was was never really used um, as the deepest guy or one of two very deep guys. Even though I think he's he's better in the middle of the mid. He's but but he's generally been part of a three. Um, so it, it'll be a lineup. Uh, I don't know that those are the perfect players. I don't know who the Fernandinho is. Maybe it's uh, Party, and maybe he has to kind of adapt to that role. Um, I don't get. Uh, I wouldn't compare um, Awar to Sabias. I don't think they'll be doing the same job for us. Um, I think Awar is more like your De Bruyne. Um, now you've got Silva my attention. Role, a little, <laughs> yeah, a little further forward. So I don't know who the the matching guy on the other side is. If Awar is on the left or the right, could be Willy and gives you your three, but I don't know who sits behind them. Um, and you know, I, I agree. I, I love Sabias back there, but he probably needs uh, to be in a pivot with two guys, um, whoever that person might be. And we're ignoring Chaka, but I think he's hitting some real form at the moment and showing his value. And we shouldn't underestimate it, underestimate that that wand of a left foot he has as we build build up on the left hand side. Um, so I, I just don't know what we're going to do here. I, I could see in a year's time all the Peace has been in place and you have your equivalent to a Fernandinho, uh, Silva, De Bruyne. But I think we're at least two players away from that at the moment, even if we got a war. Um, 
So we may just keep doing what we're the kind of style we're playing this year with the three four three for most of the year and just use uh, the clever, fluid movements of the players. And Awar comes in and he'll fit into that perfectly and be a brilliant option. Um, I don't know that this, you know, um, Arteta's talked about it. it. It's going to take more than one window. I, I, if we could get Party in and Awar in, I think they'd be great options. But I don't know who, still don't know that we know who the three, the go forward three would be, even with those two players. Awar would be one of them. Um, but I, I just, I, I think nice we're going to, to use really our current nice. structure and just throw more better players in it. And Sabayas mm. will be a starter for us because he's fucking great. Yeah. And the, if he's in the middle of midfield, busy doing all the stuff, uh, he, he's got great defensive output. I just don't think he can cover that whole back line on his own. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I I guess there there may be such a thing as a perfect midfield we're very very far from it and so especially yeah. if we want to play a 3 maybe i'm wrong to call it the perfect midfield but sure feels a lot like balance to me and a lot like the kind of profiles that you can build a good effective three man midfield with and i think if you look at chelsea who have arguably the best dm in world football in conte or at least he was they have had a devil of a time building a midfield three with him the past few seasons with jorginho and uh, Kovacic, and I, I don't think their midfield works particularly well with that group, and it's why they went out and got Kai Havertz, and I still don't know if they know what they're doing with Conte. And, you know, you look at United, who have had some good players in midfield, and similarly, you know, when you're playing a guy like Fred, I, yeah, I just I don't think it works. I think the talent profile at a minimum with those three would be really exciting. I mean, Tim, as we wrap up on transfers here, mercifully for you, uh, I guess two questions. One is, do you... Do you get excited by the thought of that midfield three, excited enough that you can be sufficiently depressed when it doesn't happen? Um, and then do you, I mean, do you see it happening? One of the interesting things with Party, and one of the reasons I, I kind of just assume it's going to happen is there's no smoke around him anymore. It's gone deadly silent. And he's a big enough profile player that you would think there'd just be rumors or something, but it's gone so deadly silent, I almost just assume... It's because this deal is happening, and and there's really nothing left to report. So I don't know. I mean, how inclined are you to think we could pull both off? And and if we did, out of ten, how would you rate a midfield of Party, Ceballos, and and Oar? So um, with part of the, there there is like a little rumor that's come out today about um, Atletico Madrid being interested in Lucas Torreira. Um, and if there was potential for some kind of swap, I, I imagine we'd be handing over some money as well, but some kind of part exchange deal there. Um, that might be interesting. I, I don't rate our chances of getting both of them at all. Oh, so you um, think zero chance we get both? Pretty much. Okay. In, unless we like sell all of the players that we want to sell and sell them well, I, I just don't see it. I, I think as it is, we've got to shift a couple of players just to get one of them. Um, and if it looks like the Martinez money is going on goalkeepers anyway, um, then that probably doesn't give us a huge chunk of change there either. So I, I, I think it will be one. I think there's almost, I don't even think there's enough. No, mate, there is enough time, but uh, what do you think I about the argument of make weights, making it happen though? Like a Torreira to, to Atleti, a Ganduzi to Leon, something like that. If, if we can, if we can, um, great. All I'd say is if that was on the cards, I'm sure that would have come up before now. And maybe it has, and it's only just 
and you know assuming these rumors are true and they've only just made their way into the media but i i would you know i'd be really surprised if that wasn't one of arsenal's opening offers in both scenarios you know here's a midfielder we don't want who ostensibly plays the same position like well, in both let me, cases let me ask you a different ask it a different way then tim because this this is the operative question the rumors of Torreira to atleti apparently come from a very reliable source. Now, I don't know who's reliable, but according to Mr. Arsenic, who I absolutely trust with my life when it comes to transfers, he rates Sebastian Finelli as reliable. I mean, maybe is, maybe isn't. I, I, I genuinely don't know, but he rates him as reliable, and, and he's reporting it's very serious interest. Can you see a scenario where we just sell Torreira to Madrid and don't get party? I mean, you know what I mean? Like that, It just strikes me as weird. Party's surely leaving if they're buying Torreira from us, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I can't either. I, 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 you know, and if you're Arsenal and you want the player, then, you know, I, I can only imagine that came up in conversation because Arsenal were talking to them about party, you know, um, and maybe this is just like the dance of negotiation, as it were, and maybe Atleti, I don't know, maybe they arrived at the conclusion a bit later. Uh, I don't know. Because uh, the thing is, like, Torreira strikes me as a, a player that Simeone would quite like and that Atleti would be able to use you know um i i actually think that would probably be quite a good deal mutually um so i yeah i, I can't really see a scenario like and unless you know we only ever wanted one of our or party and you know we think well actually we we're going to get our so um you know have Terreira and and we'll take the money and and that will fund um the move for our i you know i'd I, I just don't see it. I can only see that being some kind of part exchange. Yeah, it's. I guess it's just so weird to me because if Torreira is going to Atleti, and I'm not saying it's... By the way, just the fact that someone's saying there's a link and it's legit doesn't mean it's going to happen, doesn't mean it's done. Them looking at him, to me, suggests they're looking for a party replacement. And and, and Torreira and party are not the same player. So I, I accept that that may not be the case and I may be overthinking it to see it the way I want to see it. I am guilty of that at times and I know that. But But Clive, I mean... It's it's weird for me because w the rumors about Party were so strong. He does have a clause. They are apparently looking at someone who might potentially be a replacement for him. And oh, by the way, it's from the club that's rumored to be very interested in him. It's hard not to put two and two together and get 22 here. So are you getting 22 or not? Yeah, I mean, uh, from football's wise, um, the way Atletico defend in deep blocks and they want that screener in front. So you can see Torreira being that last-ditch tackler in front of the back four. They would absolutely love him there and the way he plays. And the thing is with parties release clause, this is the issue, right? So when you have a release clause, you're duty-bound to let the player go. The longer Arsenal leave this, the closer they are to the the date when, you know, they can just say, we're going to trigger his release clause and you've got no time to get a replacement. So I've let it come Madrid now thinking, okay, we need to think about this. It's getting closer to October the 6th. We need to make sure we have replacement lined up or we need to make sure we can get one as part of the deal. So just for example, I'll give you another scenario. Just say Torreira is worth 25 mil just for for swap per basis. And Arsenal give him Torreira and say give him 15 million quid or 10 million quid. And suddenly, Athletic got their replacement and they got a bit of cash in their bin to get them through COVID. That could easily be a scenario that could happen. I think a lot of it is in the release clause. Now, Arsenal don't really want to pay the release clause because when you have a release clause to play, you have to pay off the whole lot in one go. And I don't see a scenario where we're going to do that or got the cash for that. So the longer we leave this, the better chance we have to negotiate some form of payment structure. 
or some form of swap deal. There's two players in the club that are athletic and rumoured to like in Lacazette and Torreira. So they can just sit there. They can they can promote Mo and any to make Atletico think we're okay. Mm. And so Party's more or less said this is he more or less said quietly. He's only one place I want to go. And so just roll it out. And in the next few days, people are going to reveal themselves. It's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I guess we should set aside transfer rumors for the time being. And let, Paul, do you do you have a final thought there? Can we move to a last couple of no, quick, quick hits? I have no final thought. Okay. I mean, it dawns on me that we haven't. We haven't actually talked about the Aubameyang thing on this podcast yet. Um, we did do the live stream again, and you can watch it on YouTube if you want, with me and Tim talking about it. And we've talked about it at length, and it's because it's been presumed to happen. We've we've covered it. Now that it has happened, Paul, is your overwhelming thought just excitement? I mean, obviously, everything he said yeah. was great. You know, the thing is, setting aside for a second tactically whether it makes sense to re-sign a 31-year-old striker, which I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm just saying setting that aside. You'd be hard pressed to find a player you'd want to root for more than this guy, right? In terms of both yeah. how much fun it is to watch him, how good he is, and also just how great a guy he is, and how well liked he is, and how likable he is. And it doesn't even feel manicured. Like at at the high point of a lot of our players being likable, there was always that sense it was somewhat manicured. But in a way, almost like Santi Cazorla, like Aubameyang just feels naturally likable. He does what he wants, and it it works for him. Yeah, yeah. No, it's. Um... So, like, we had this weird start to the summer in the Aubameyang deal where you had to kind of uh, uh, contain your emotions and look at the financial things and blah, 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 and clutch your pearls about the deal and stuff. And I did plenty of that. I got the imprint of the pearls in my hands as I mm. worry about that. I do love clutching some year. pearls. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and my rosary beads in the other <laughs> hand. And, like, but screw all that. It's... Uh, you know, that's that's a problem for the end of the Thelma and Louise movie. Um, let's get on to shagging Brad Pitt. Um, um, it's like he's just such a great, great athlete. I went and watched the they had the uh, Aubameyang training behind the scenes video and it doesn't show anything apart from him jogging around and kicking a few balls in there. And he's just glorious. Uh, I mean, just a superb footballer, superb athlete. And this presence he brings with him. I think the thing with Aubameyang was, I think he's really matured over the last couple of years. Uh, I mean, I think, like I used, I knew a bit about him when he was at Saint-Étienne because my my, uh, in-laws are French and Saint-Étienne supports. I mean, not much, but he's kind of been in my mindset for a long time now. And he was just like this young tearaway kid, uh, a real talent. Uh, loved the bling and then he goes on to bvb and he's again he's kind of he wasn't central to them he wasn't he wasn't on track to be a legend for them because he's just this he's too much of a personality and he he just i i think the the fit there isn't brilliant because he's he doesn't really fit into the dortmund culture as such but hey he was scoring goals and they eventually moved him into the you know arsenal is his chance to become that player, the, the, what he's already started to be, the, this uh, central figure that not only scores our goals, not only is a captain who leads the way, not only provides that, you know, he's 31 years old and he carries himself and all the players look up to him, all the younger players look to him. And, 
we and here's our teddy comes in he builds his whole way of playing around him to accommodate him all the triggers are off Yang. he moves to the inside therefore uh you know maitland niles pushes out to the wing uh, so they they don't get in each other's zones all the triggers work back from what's Yang doing where is he's going next he's so essential to how we play at the moment such an essential personality and from his standpoint he's matured to the point where this is now his his career making club his name will be associated bvb have are already becoming a footnote in his career in his legacy yeah he scored a lot of goals there for a couple of years but who cares um this is it <laughs> well and, they, they might care but you know, yeah, they, yeah but you know he didn't leave on the most wonderful circumstances and the the head guy over at bvb was slagging him off for going after the money and how how wrong that turned out to be. Okay, he took all our money. But anyway, um, so like it's kind of a mixed legacy back there, depending on how – I don't think they know how to feel about it. He probably doesn't know how he f- feels about it. You know, when you get into a slanging match with the, the head dude back there after you've left the club, it, it left the club. It's not perfect. But here he is uh, for – However it's come to pass, he's come to be the guy for us over the next couple of years. And this will be his legacy. And that suits us fine because we need to do things and we need to achieve things. And if we're going after a war and maybe party, uh, you know, we're not hanging around. uh, Arteta isn't just thinking top four. He's thinking going all the way and pushing uh, for a title. Over the next few years, he's a very ambitious guy with incredibly clear thinking, and that's why Obama. That's a big piece of why Obama Yang stayed. Um, I, I kind of said before, Arteta is always going to be the smartest man in the room, and he's going to light up all those conversations. I think we've seen that over the last. I mean, look how far we've come in six months, and the COVID thing with with no crowd. Um, it's terrible that we don't have the fans there. It's absolutely brilliant for Arteta and his coaching because every game is a coaching session. And, you know, the, the talk about Fulham not being very good and stuff, they're at, it was the perfect game to have. And I hope West Ham turns into the perfect game again in that the, they're not great. And it allows us to establish our style, our way of playing. Um, you know, that kind of training setup where you play against nobody or against those wire dummies, um, Fulham re- represented that, and that should not detract from the performance because we still had to turn it on against a, a, a team, and it's allowing us to establish our patterns of play for this season. And you know, can we take it to West Ham? We'll find out. Uh, but we're starting to see how we want to play, and it's really exciting how players trigger off each other, and it all flows back from Aubameyang, and that's how we're going to play for the next couple of years. And he's an absolute star. Yeah, he is, and and so so likable. I mean, Tim, we covered it uh, in pretty good length, and I, I don't want to force you to repeat yourself. So I guess all I would say is, how we 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 so often wind up, and I think this is natural in modern football, analyzing the the economics of a deal, analyzing the squad building angles of a deal. We we get into the minutiae on tactics and analytics. We get into the minutiae on the economics. And as a result, we often don't zoom out far enough to just be fans for a minute. So let's mm. set aside any of the issues of his age and the money and the resources and the squad building and all that just for a second. From a pure 
loving a player's standpoint, likability, wanting to root for him, excited for him to be at the club. How far up the pyramid post-Invincibles has Aubameyang moved for you? And and how much further could he go over these next three seasons if it goes well? Yeah, he's he's gone right up um, for me. But like particularly with the FA Cup semi-final and final, right? That's that's going <laughs> to, that's always going to, Gonna, uh, you know, I I think in terms of how I regard him as a player, like probably very similar to Alexis, but with Alexis, you know, you never. Well, I say he never got the impression like he didn't love Arsenal, and that's fine. Like, not most players will, you know, won't. That's just that's just the way it goes. Most he always people, felt borrowed, didn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, which is which is absolutely fine. I mean, he's from South America. Why wouldn't he be? Fair enough. Um, and you know, the vast majority of players are. But um, I, I think Clive said this a couple of months ago on the pod that he didn't feel that Aubameyang suited like a, a super club, like a Barca or a Madrid. And, uh, you know, uh, accepting everything Paul said there about the way it ended at Dortmund. But that that felt a bit more like his profile of club where he could. It sounds a bit weird to say this because because I, re- I really do believe he is like he's very humble and very like uh, collectively minded. But just that I, I, I watched the interview he did with Ian Wright, um, you know, uh, after we did the, the, the live stream. And, you know, they talked about uh, that legacy word and that, you know, the chance to be a club legend. And it really sounds like that's how Arteta seduced him into signing the contract, the kind of look. I'm here now. You're not playing under Unai Emery anymore or the dregs of Arsene Wenger. I, I'm here. You can see that, you know, we're potentially going places and you can, you know, you can be the real figurehead of that and you can be a club legend here. And um, it, it's it's just down to what your drivers are um, as, a, as, a, as a player and as a person. And it's like, um, and, and this is too hyperbolic an example, right? But it's like, um, we often have this debate, like in England, like, would you rather be like Phil Neville and or John O'Shea and play for Man United and win, you know, eight, nine Premier League titles, four FA Cups, a European Cup, and then, you know, not really be that remembered, but at the end of your career, have all of that on your sideboard? Or would you rather be like Alan Shearer or um, Matt Letizia, the footballer, not Matt Letizia, the coronavirus conspiracy theorist? Um, and, and, you know, be an absolute club legend. And, and it just depends on how you're like, what your drivers are and, and it looks to me like Aubameyang has and and don't and there were probably other things that play into this like coronavirus um and the economic effects probably really stopped some of the super clubs going heavy for him anyway uh, at the moment Barcelona yeah Barcelona might have been interested but is that an attractive move at the moment do they look like they're going to win the next three Champions Leagues not really um, and and I just I, I really believed him when he was talking about yeah I you know I I'm, I'm sure it's not, oh, I love Arsenal and I stayed and that's the end of it. But but it sounded like that legacy piece that, oh, wow, I could be a real club legend here. Like, I'm probably not going to win the Champions League. But to be honest, to do that at the moment, I probably have to go to PSG, Man City or Bayern Munich. And are they actually interested in this moment in time? And, and, and you know, just, just that, that kind of sense that, okay... If I can't just go and move to the club that I can guarantee will win the Champions League before I'm 34, then why not stay here on a club that feels like it's on an upward curve again and I can be the symbol of that upward curve? I've already effectively won this club a trophy single, single-handedly single and I was the captain and I got to both drop and lift the trophy and I really liked the <laughs> feeling of that. And 
and and you know i i think slowly he, he wants the community just, shield too by the way let's not sell that short well of course yeah with the winning penalty but you know just that that feeling of like i guess being home and being the main guy and you know guaranteeing that you're going to be the main guy for the next couple of years that that, that won't work for every player but for a lot of players that's a big big lure and um and at this point you know because we think of a player at this point of his career and we think oh he's probably thinking shit i need to win the champions league i need to win the league and i'm sure a lot of players are but at the same time a lot of players at this point of their career might think hmm yeah, I, I want a legacy, actually. And yeah, I've been at St. Etienne. I had a little bit of time at Milan, at Borussia, and it didn't end brilliantly there. And actually, they haven't enormously missed me. Um, they're still doing pretty much the same thing. So why wouldn't you think about your quote-unquote legacy as as much as, you know, your medal collection? Yeah, and, and I think it is really tricky how legacies work because there's a lot more calculus that goes into it than just how good you were. Robin Van Persie in his pomp is better than Aubameyang has been at Arsenal. That's my opinion. Robin Van Persie is a snake who couldn't come back to the Emirates without getting booed. Where will Robin Van Persie go when he wants to watch a game in England and be embraced and be loved or anywhere? He doesn't have a club. Cesc Fabregas, my favorite ever non-invincible player, whom I adore. Complicated relationship with the club because of how he left. Not an Arsenal legend. Can't come back and be an Arsenal legend. Can't have Arsenal back. Is he a Chelsea legend? Maybe not. Maybe. Probably not. You know, it, it gets complicated. Santi Cazorla, more embraced, more loved by Arsenal, more uniformly welcomed back at Arsenal than probably Cesc and Van Persie. And it's no contest who the better players were for Arsenal in their pomp. Aubameyang is maybe not as good at, as the best Alexis season and maybe not as good as the best Van Persie season. I'm not going to compare him to Cesc, a totally different player, but good enough to be one of the best in the league, a golden boot winner. And a guy who now will finish his career, for all intents and purposes, at Arsenal, having spent probably six seasons at the club, and can come back and have what Ian Wright has. You know how many people have never seen Ian Wright play football that love Ian Wright? Arsenal fans? Never even seen him play football. And how he's now trotted out at every single kit release. And look, part of it's because he's an Adidas guy, and it's Adidas, and I get it. But like, it's, um, it is something. Because these guys, their career's over at 35. They're going to live potentially another 50, 60 years, 50 or 60 years of going back to stadiums and being adored, having the adulation of 60,000 people, of millions worldwide who embrace you as part of their culture because you stayed and you fought to win things. And even if you didn't win it, you were good on the pitch and, and you said the right things. And Van Persie can't have that. He will forever be a pariah at Arsenal. Same, but with, and, with, yeah, go ahead. Then you look at Aubameyang with his connection with the fans, social media and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he just loves it, right? Yeah. Um, and there are other players who'd be like, yeah, well, you know, legend, what's, what's the dollar value on that? You know, they're doing some kind of calculus. Um, and, and certainly, look, he's taken care of himself financially and he's made a business and football decision. But he's also uh, totally embracing... The connection with the fans, the club, etc., and he can parlay that into. I think the Ian Wright's a really good comparison. I mean, Ian Wright is what he is also because of his personality. Well, and, and he's English. He's, and yeah, I mean, you know, it's there's a lot of things there. Yeah. There is, and you look at Obama Yang, and you say, yeah, look, he doesn't want to go away. He's probably not. He may not be manager material when this is all done. He may not go into a coaching career. But man, he's made to have a camera in front of him and be connecting. Point, yeah. Like I, I would say, he would look at Ian Wright and say, "Yeah, okay, there's 
uh, I can see my path forward and this connection to Arsenal, it just feels right. He'll, he'll have that. He'll always have that. He can build on that. It's the biggest league in the world. London's the best city football wise in the world. So uh, may, maybe he hasn't exactly calculated that. It's like that, but uh, you could imagine it all plays in that this just feels right. And, this is the right place to be. Yeah. And let's not be fools. Look, if we were offering 60,000 a week, He'd be gone. <laughs> he wouldn't be yeah. choosing legend status. But when you can make enough money that your financial future is secured and you can layer on top of that 60 years of being able to come back to a ground and have people love you, that's big. I think that's big. And it feels big for us as a club because having heroes matters and we have a hero. And so we'll say goodbye to Paul, who is the hero we deserve. Thank you, Paul. You can find Paul on Twitter at Pause My Pants. We are going to wrap up anyway, but Clive, I, I do want to get your uh, take on the, the hero situation. I mean, our, our relationship with our legends can be tricky. Um, Thierry Henry, even adored. I, I can't imagine anybody doesn't love Thierry Henry. For some reason, you know, it, it feels complicated. I, I can't even explain thoroughly why it does. Maybe it's just, um, you know, that he's chosen to, to keep a little distance. Because to be fair, he did come back and score that FA Cup goal. And it was one of the great days for the club. So so maybe I'm making that up. But like, I mean, where do, you, where do you come down on this idea that Aubameyang has a future as an Arsenal legend and how, how much we've needed that? Because if you say post-Invincibles, Sesk left under kind of a cloud, Van Persie left under a cloud, Alexis, it, it always felt a little borrowed, as, as we were saying with Tim, uh, Ramsey, uh, too injured, you know, left on a free to Juve right when he could have signed maybe a deal to finish his prime at Arsenal and, and become a true permanent legend at the club. I mean... Jack Wilshere was too broken. He looked like a guy who loved the club who would be that guy. I can't think of real legend status, hero status, Santi Cazorla, not quite embedded enough. Is this the first one we've had post-Invincibles who who could elevate himself to to that kind of stature and and be that next-generation legend? Yeah, potentially, yes. Um, I tend not to look at football too much through individuals, as you know, but I'm... Mm. Um, you can't not, <laughs> yeah. You can't not um, in, enjoy this guy and um, the guy we were sold, you know, about being somebody who was all flash but no substance. You know, the two or three things hit me this week when he, you know, showed more of himself than I've seen actually. And um, on the videos, you get to see what a what a humble man he is. You know, when he spoke to him right and said, you know, I'm honoured to be on this pitch with you at this time. Suddenly, all the bling was over. He meant that. He really meant that. And and there was a level of authenticity about him. And I heard also this week, even though he signed his contract, he was one of the few players that stayed behind for extra training. So unlike a certain player who wears number 10 for us, he's not resting on his laurels. He's looking to be better. He's improving. And I'm, I always look to this signing as more of an indicator, and I'm going to do sort of a timeline analysis. I'm going into Tim's world here, but when Ashley Cole left us to go to Chelsea, I felt it was an indicator that something was wrong at the club. I really did. It really bothered me. It really bothered me we took one of their players. It really bothered me that player took a number 10 shirt. It really bothered me that there was something else better in London. I'm not going to say the phrase I always say because the guys of Discord are going to have a bet on me about it. But it really bothered me that we weren't the place to be. And since the Ashley Cole day, we never looked at who we are. We laughed. We had cliche. We didn't see what was happening. And one by one, players left before they should have done. And it was an indicator things were not right. Until recently, for the first time, I feel we're turning a corner and things are right. And I was always confident he would stay. 
always confident that he would stay once Arteta was on, was on board. They all want to stay because they all smell there's something really, really good here. It's a real positive uh, indicator that we have a plan. We have something going. And something else he said in that interview, he said, no, I'm really happy here, the legend stuff, all the rest of it. You can take that as you see fit. But he said about young players, and he said they're coming like fire. And there is this older group now of proper people and a younger group being mentored and leadered in the right way. And when young players want it, they and they do, they come like fire. You have to play really well to hold them off. And this is something that should excite everybody, that we've got these layers that are developing that are going to push each other. If they push each other, we know we'll no longer get the play when you like Arsenal, that turn up at some places and play really well, go away, and you know they're going to lose. Hopefully we've gone past that because we've got a much better environment. And this is just an indicator that the optimism we all feel could be really true. It could be true because historically this level of player just leaves and we replace him with somebody not as good. That has been our trend over recent years. So now we're not going to do the RVP to Giroud thing. We've got Aubameyang here and how we're going to support him because he's not signed that contract to play people who are not good enough. So the next steps are going to be really interesting. So Elliot, I see it as an indicator that we really have turned the corner and and see, you know, going back to the Ashley Cole days, I don't want to see that again, where one of our prime players from our academy, who end up being the best left back in the world, goes to a club 20 miles around the corner. That should never happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we can just about leave it there, but given that we actually play tomorrow, should we have a quick word about that, perhaps? Um, I think a lot is going to change in the next week, and I think things are going to look a lot different, and it'd be good timing, given the fixtures we have ahead. Tim... Um, it doesn't get super easy from here. Uh, I mean, we're not Spurs. We don't get to play Locomotive Plovid with nine players and struggle to beat them, uh, unfortunately. We do get West Ham. You kind of got to win this game and and put position yourself with six points through through these first two, given what's ahead. Um, this is kind. This feels weirdly like a pivot game, you know, a game around which the early part of our season can pivot because we go out and we look good again and we dominate and we win and the feeling is good. We go into a hard run saying we're not going to pick up all these points ahead, but we've got some good signs and we can bring in some new players. If it doesn't go well, it, it can set up that tough run very, very differently. So what do you anticipate happening this weekend? And do you think I've I've positioned the game in a way that reflects its importance or do you think that I've reached for unnecessary drama? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think that's exactly right. Particularly if we're, you know, if we're talking about getting back in the top four and things like that, like, you know, we, we have to show we mean business now. I, what interests me about this game, I guess, is that um, West Ham at home was uh, the last game before lockdown. Um, and we kind of, we struggled to a one nil victory um, in, in that game. And, you know, we ground it out and actually we were a bit fortunate because West Ham missed a few chances. So I, I think this is, this will be like a real marker of progress. Um, I, I think you could argue maybe that some of those games after Project Restart were, were a bit strange. I mean, they're still a bit strange, but, you know, the whole Project Restart thing was really strange and that maybe it's difficult to get a proper idea of the level of certain teams and some teams you know like Liverpool for example I I think lockdown worked the worst for Liverpool worse than any other team maybe except for Norwich 
um, just because it was such a momentum killer. And they knew when they came back, they only needed to win a couple of games. And and when you lose that momentum, I think it's really difficult to pick it up again. Um, you know, West Ham finished last season pretty strongly. Um, Mikel Antonio found, um, you know, found a, a really strong vein of form and kept them up. But like, you know, last week, they were dreadful again. They were really dreadful. And there's, you know, there's ruptions in that fan base again because they're selling players they don't want to sell. They can't sell players that they want to sell. And, uh, you know, West Ham had just got that really bad feeling around them again. This is a game we absolutely have to win and win, like, pretty well, I would say. Um, don't get me wrong. I would take another kind of scrappy, fortunate 1-0 win. But I, I think Arsenal look like they're on, like, a really nice trajectory here. And just to go into those more difficult fixtures with, you know, another another Fulham type performance. West Ham are better than Fulham, um, I think. But we're at home. We've got a few more attacking options. There's a few more selection uh, options here. You know, did did El, you know does Elneny got get dropped for Sabios? Is do we get Pepe in there? Do, you know, there, there's there's a few things that could be decided. Can we get Saka into the team? So all of a sudden, there's a bit of competition for places again, and um, yeah, I'm I'm really really interested to see what happens. But I'm I'm expecting us to win, and I'm expecting us to dominate as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I would take that, Clive. A final word. Do you agree with my uh, positioning of the game in terms of its importance, and do you agree with Tim's conclusion that we will uh, swashbuckle our way to a ten nil? Uh, yes, and yes, and I'm most interested in seeing what we do at home. This could be an opportunity to see four at the back. You know, we're all and um, we're all looking for it. We're all looking to see how that will look like. And um this could be a chance to have a look at it. But sometimes I think the way we're playing this with the three at the back and our sort of flexibility and hybrid players, you know, that's very difficult to plan for. But would it you know, how will it work at home? How will it work against deep blocks? You know, I wanna answer these questions, um, and that's what I'm looking for. I believe there, you know, it, the way I would look at it, there are some players I think really do suit playing at home, and quite technical players rather than the running bombastic players we had at Fulham. Could be interesting to see if uh, Cedric plays or Saka plays or Sabias plays, who I think are much more manipulative on the ball, and more of those players you have, you know, when you're talking smaller spaces against teams are going to sit in against you slightly, will be interesting. Um, are we going to have a more aggressive pressing Eddie? Because I tend to tend to use Eddie at home a little bit, and I would think it'd be other way. You know, maybe use his energy away, but he tends to use him at home, which I find quite interesting. So, again, that rotation option is there. So, it's going to be the rotation is going to be the thing I'm looking for, and to see if he develops a sort of a home team and a home way of playing. I think that's going to be more interesting than the result, which I hope is a foregone conclusion because West Ham are rubbish and only fractionally better than Fulham. They are that bad. And when West Ham get it wrong off the pitch, it is massive because their fans do not take any rubbish, right? So uh, they are going to be, <laughs> they'll be up if they lose another game. You know, they've lost at home to Newcastle. I mean, crikey, that's bad. They're going to Arsenal. Some of their next games are really tough. In the next couple of weeks, they could be the crisis club of the Premier League quite easily. Yeah, I would, uh, I would be happy to push them into that position and then, uh, we celebrate the win by announcing party in OR and and uh, Coutinho and 
Messi at the next Arteta presser, and that would be perfect. Look, I, I think that's plenty. We had a huge fight about goalkeepers and backup goalkeepers, no less, which is very Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. We had a big transfer conversation. We celebrated Aubameyang, and we predicted an easy win. And when has that ever backfired? So you got a lot this Friday. Uh, there will be an instant reaction podcast deep into the evening when our, our game is done uh, in La Liga dinner time. And uh, that'll be for patrons, and we got a lot more ahead. So let's leave it there. Tim's on Twitter. Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name's Elliot Smith. You can and should block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about me because I'm an idiot. What do I know? And uh, more than anything, we just love you and we appreciate you being here. And having said all that, I think it is now time for me to say we love you and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, West Ham News.